Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine Saint Clair. All aboard! That is when you're offending somebody that the hardcore liberals support. And this one chick, and I can't remember her first name, but I know it ended in Savage, um, something Savage. She came to, I believe it was Atlantic City when I was doing a signing there. And she came running up to my table. And the first thing she started screaming at the top of her lungs, why did you post that child porn? And I didn't know what she was talking about because I've never posted child porn. What the fuck are you talking about? And she goes, you posted that child porn and I reported it. And that's what got you booted off of there. And I'm going, oh, so you're the one that reported Hunter Biden's pictures off his own laptop. And even while I'm saying specifically what it is that she reported, the Hunter Biden thing is completely ignored. It's completely, it's, it's going in one ear and out the other. And it's, why did you post child porn on my timeline? Is basically what she was saying. Basically, trying to get everybody around to ignore that it's Hunter Biden but it's child porn that was posted. Well, number one, it wasn't child porn. Why you knew it was leading into child porn. And number two, it's Hunter Biden. Hello. But that didn't compute in her brain. She is so delusional that that doesn't matter to her. It's, you know what I mean? She looked at me as the enemy and she was going to try and stick a knife right through me. You know what I mean? It's, it's a sickness. It's a, ment it's a mental disorder that these oh, people yeah. suffer from. You know what I mean? Well, they, can't, they cannot compute truth, fact, and logic. Well, that's scary for someone to go up to someone and just yell child porn. I mean, and she knew what she was doing in that respect. But the way you deal with these people is you have to talk to them, not that you can really, on their level was with emotion, unfortunately. And yeah. that's a scary thing. I, 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 what I hate is when, I, I saw Sound of Freedom, by the way. It's a really great movie. For great movie. Amazing movie. People are out there saying it's QAnon conspiracy. You tell that to the victims, to the actual survivors of such crimes. You tell oh, them yeah. it's fake. You tell them it's imaginary. Try it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, here's another thing is you have mainstream media that was attacking that sound of freedom like there was no tomorrow. And then I don't know if you heard this story. One of the financers was reported as um, arrested for child trafficking or child kidnapping. Right. So they tried to demonize the Sound of Freedom movie because one of the financers was arrested for child kidnapping and they left it at that. They made Pete, they made them this is how irresponsible the media is. These so called people that are journalists, they, they call themselves journalists. They're not journalists, they're propagandists. I'm a journalist. These people are propagandists. And they knew that if they said that financer was arrested for child kidnapping, in the minds of the readers, the financer of Sound of the Freedom is involved with child trafficking. And, you know, I'm only a human being. When I saw that tagline, I envisioned in my head, okay, that's disappointing. But is it surprising? Because the people making the movie, they are part of Hollywood. 
So yeah, I guess it's not that surprising. And then you start asking, why would a guy that's involved in child trafficking be creating a movie and paying for it that highlights tra child trafficking? Well, the very next day, I find out the truth. It wasn't child kidnapping and child trafficking. He's in a custody dispute with his own child, with his own ex-wife. And they, but they, they don't say it like that. They try to use something like that, make up a story, publish the story. He was charged with kidnapping. And now in the reader's minds, the people that don't think rationally, oh, look at this, the guy that created Sound of Freedom, he's part of that child trafficking. Nothing could be further from the truth. He was involved in a child custody dispute with his ex-wife, which is completely normal, right? Yeah. And uh, it just goes to show you how evil the people on the left are. You know, well, they'll lie, they'll distort. Yeah. What's that? No, I had a feeling the second you said that, I'm like, he didn't do anything. I bet it was his kid being unruly or something with a kid involved that's his. Then I just let, I want to hear what you have to say. And then I'm like, yeah, that's totally what it was. He, it was a custody battle. And it was a custody is, battle. It sounds uh, sensationalism. And I learned that in like fifth grade in school. We were talking about. Ah, this is what it was. It was, uh, does television foster mediocrity? So let's fast forward now to the pandemic. Yes, it does. And then sensationalism to attract news headlines. And you're learning about this like in fifth grade. This is like in 1980-something, and or 1980. And uh, I'm just like, okay, so this is really what's going on. Then you fast forward to your older self, and this is what's happening today. It's yeah. It's horrendous. Oh, it's it's mind-boggling. They they It's social conditioning, right? They're, they're conditioning that division amongst people. And if you can get half the people to believe one thing and the other half the people to believe something else, you can keep them fighting. And if you can keep them fighting, they can just keep ruling over you, you know? Yeah. You know, I really, um, I hope that wrestling somehow comes back to a good state. Do you really think yeah. that will happen at any point? <laughs> Here's the problem with that is... And the founding fathers always said it as well. And it goes back, if you take a look even to the very to the very seat of what powers everything in America, and it's that Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve comes up, they literally control everything through their through their proxies, right? BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street. That's how they literally control everything, including media companies and now you have wwe that's combined with endeavor um now they seem like they're a corporation that um is still somewhat rational right now somewhat rational i'm, I'm not going to say it's fully rational because obviously we saw what happened with the powers that be in wwe and mandating the vaccines and mask wearing and all that so you know they're, they're being they're being controlled somewhat um but the founding fathers always said that when if you allow a central bank to set roots in America, the corporations that will grow up around that Federal Reserve will be controlled by the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve looks at every single entertainment company as a propaganda piece to control the masses, including pro wrestling. NFL, NBA, uh, NFL, or I mean, I'm sorry, NHL, um, baseball, pro wrestling, uh, you know, anything that entertains the private sector community, the, the, the Federal Reserve, through their proxies, want to be able to control that. So will wrestling ever go back to the heyday when they were creating that division amongst people that 
you know, they hated the bad guy, love the good guy. They want to pay the money to watch the good guy get revenge on the bad guy. If you go back to the heyday where you have freedom, you have a promoter that sole purpose is to make money. If he's making money, it means he's creating value for the fans, right? The promoter's incentivized to create real value for the fans. So he wants to produce that, that wrestling show in a way that's going to produce the most value in order to persuade the private sector community to exchange more value, right? So when the incentive is moral and ethical, right? The incentive here is you want to create value in the form of entertainment for fans. That's that's your that's your goal, and that's when wrestling can go back to that old school way. But we don't have that today. We have a Federal Reserve that, through their proxies, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, for example, they have controlling interest in a lot of these media companies, a lot of these big corporations. Their goal isn't to how do we make money uh, by entertaining the fans. Their goal is. How do we keep the fans separated mentally, mentally conditioned so that we can, can so that we can continue um, extracting value through counterfeiting? They're not getting value like the promoter wants. I got to create value and then I can in, in the form of entertainment and then exchange that value with fans. Right. You're exchanging the entertainment for their work, labor, skills and talents. Right. In the form of money. The Federal Reserve and all the people in control there, that's not their goal. Their goal is to keep society divided, not keep society hating this guy and loving this guy for entertainment purposes, but to truly keep them divided. Hence, you had, and you can never prove it, but you have people like Tony Khan socially conditioning the masses saying, hey, Nyla Rose, just we're going to treat you just as if you were born a female. Go out there and wrestle like a female against the females. You see what I'm saying? It's very subtle social conditioning things that when you have the Federal Reserve that's incentivized to keep society divided, you'll never have a wrestling product that will uh, promote wrestling where we want 100% of the fans to hate this guy and love this guy. You know what I mean? You have wrestling now trying to subtly trying to keep fans divided politically. The woke versus what do they call them? The magas. I'm you know a, what I mean? I'm a mega Maga. fan, actually. Like legitimately. I, I am a yeah, and, and they literally do that. I mean, you turn on the TV and it's like, oh, you're wearing a Trump hat. You can't wear a Trump hat here. Or, you know, you, you have a trans flag and you're fl flying that around over. You can't have a trans flag here. They keep people divided, which is what the Federal Reserve's goal is. And it goes all the way back to the founding fathers saying that if you allow a central bank to set roots in America, the corporations that will grow up around that central bank will do one thing. They will divide society and enslave them. That's their goal. Their goal isn't to make money. They don't have to. They counterfeit it. Right. They, they literally counterfeit money. Whereas if you have a promoter outside of those corporations, the promoter wants to make money. He wants to create value in order to make money. So there's a big difference. And right now, when you have that Federal Reserve in America, I don't think I mean, even look at Hollywood. Hollywood used to make really good movies. Then they decided to go into propaganda business. 
Hollywood hasn't made a really good movie in what 10, 15 years. It'd be oh, so easy to say, hey, let's make a movie and use a black Cinderella. Okay, that's super simple to say. The only they're not using the idea that we want to create a black uh, Cinderella to, um, you know, keep everybody inclusive. The social engineers want to do that because they know that the people will get divided over it. That's the only reason they're doing it. They'll tell you, oh, no, we want to be inclusive because inclusive is moral and it's ethical. And it's true when they say that. But when they turn to their friends, their banker friends, they're like, this will cause the people to be divided. And if they can keep people divided, they can keep counterfeiting currency and keep controlling the people and enslaving them. So it's the subtle things. You got to get rid of that Federal Reserve and the corporations that surround it. You got to give the obligation to control these corporations back to the people that originally started those corporations. You know, Vince started that rest while took it over from his dad, but created a big, you know, empire in pro wrestling because he wanted to entertain the people. Whereas now it's okay. we got to entertain the people. we got to, have you ever heard of these ESG scores? I've heard of them. Yeah. So you take a look at that. It's an ESG score. That's why Bud Light put Millen, or what's his name, Dylan Mulvaney on the beer can. Yeah, it's just so they could use a corporation to socially condition the people and separate them. The 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 the, the BlackRock and Vanguard, they don't care if Bud if Budweiser makes money or not. What they do care about is the fact that you can put a transgender on the face of a beer can and divide society. That's what they care about. And they do the same thing with pro wrestling, putting Nyla Rose into uh, into a spot where you never even bring up the transgender thing. When you really, if this was a real wrestling company, you'd make money from that. You know, it's an oddity. You could make money from that. And it's it hurts Nyla Rose's bank account. It hurts all the boys in the back. It hurts all their bank accounts. You know, this whole woke culture is... Uh, it's devastating to the standard of living that in the past we all enjoyed. I also think that a lot of girls, like a lot of the females, you need to stop. Like, first of all, why haven't these feminists walked out when, oh, well, you have to wrestle against a biological male. The second these girls say no, it's the second this stops. It's one of the many seconds that will stop it. Just say no. I, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Tootsie with a, uh, with Justin Hoffman, it's one of my favorite movies. That was about a biological male that knew he was a male that dressed up as a woman to get a role on a TV show as a woman. That's another thing. All these pronouns, who calls themselves they, them? It's it's unbelievable. It's, it's what's happening in this society. And you take a look at what the founding fathers warned us about. You can see that all of this social conditioning, all of the mental disorders are now being normalized. I mean, gender dysphoria is a real, real mental disorder for some people. I think it's a rare mental disorder, but it is a real mental disorder. And instead of treating a mental disorder, they're deciding that, oh, it's better to affirm it and, you know, make them uh, embrace their mental disorder. I mean, okay, what's next? Are we going to affirm schizophrenia? Are we going to, you know, embrace uh, people that are schizo and, and say, hey, it's okay to be a schizo. And if you feel like stabbing that person over there for no reason whatsoever, it's okay because you're a schizo. I mean, to me, that's just, it's insane. Gender dysphoria is a very real um, 
mental condition. And I think the people that have real gender dysphoria, I think are very, very small amount. I think the people that are programmed into gender dysphoria is a much higher number. I think the majority of these kids today that are saying, oh, you know, I feel like I could be a girl, like in their male. I think that's been all the social conditioning from TikTok, from entertainment, like pro wrestling, Hollywood. Um, you know, it's, it's, they, they normalize it in society. And when you have kids that don't have critical thinking abilities, which let's face it, common core has literally destroyed the critical thinking abilities of a lot of young people. They don't think critically anymore. And they're being presented with pro wrestling where a transgender is wrestling women like she was born a woman. You have um, Hollywood portraying, you know, transgenders as totally normal um, and affirming it. And in their own minds, it's now affirmed and it's okay to feel like a girl. Maybe you're a girl. And to me, it's 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 sick. It's sick. It's demented. Like we shouldn't be playing with people's lives like that, especially when you take a 17 year old girl, you put that 17 year old girl on male hormones on testosterone starts growing facial hair immediately in my mind. I'm thinking what's happening inside that young girl's body right now ovarian cancer with elevated testosterone levels i mean bone density the bone density starts to break down you know what i mean they get os what is it called osteoporosis yes that's what it is when they when the calcium starts to break down in the bones all this stuff happens to the female body when you have hyper elevated testosterone levels but to the social engineers that doesn't matter all that matters is that female feels like a male so give them testosterone and to me that's sick that's sick well it is and i've met a detransitioner i had him on my show once and he was told by his therapist and his school board or someone in the school that he should be uh that he wants to be a woman he's now 23 he has detransitioned uh completely but may not be able to have kids he just won yeah. the case against the therapist and the doctor uh, and with this said, there, there should be a lot more lawsuits like that coming out and also against the vaccine. In New York State, first responders have sued their employers and successfully gotten a settlement. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot more lawsuits are going to come of this. And hopefully, you know, a lot more things will come out of, you know, what we're talking about. Maybe people will stop appreciating and accepting insanity. Uh, I certainly would have an issue dressing with a, um, a transgender in the same space right yeah yeah, yeah. You, it's too much and you talking about the testosterone has scared me immensely today because i take like a little bit uh it's just like as hrt but right. um, it's different i think the way they do it on people like me yeah they load they, they load these people up with them so they get facial hair and all kinds of stuff you know it's uh it's it's, it's definitely it's definitely not good when you're doing it in high amounts like that it's it's and the thing is, is doctors, doctors, medical doctors are pushing this on these on these uh, young girls, young girls that aren't even fully developed yet. You know what I mean? And um, I think you're seeing the trans, the, the trans or the, I'm sorry, the detransition community. It's growing by leaps and bounds. Yet here's another sad fact. It seems like the transgender community 
it's all that well i'm not even gonna say almost like they're praying they are factually praying on the weak-minded people they find online that are already questioning oh i'm 14 years old and sometimes i feel like i could be the opposite gender and they will pounce they will the the, the transgender community will befriend those people and start saying yeah you know if you feel like you know you, you you like girl things more you should transition to a female because that means you're transgender and they start brainwashing these young kids then like you said with your friend you said he was 23 you know once they get a little older and you know everything starts to come together for them and all of a sudden they're like wow that was a big mistake there's no way i was the opposite i was the opposite gender you'll find that all the transgender community that befriended them for all that time to convince them to trans all of a sudden they want to detransition and the transgender community disappears they want nothing to do with them anymore you know and 90 percent of the time i mean since when have drag queens been interested in young kids and they're not interested in them pedophiles are interested in them and with the transgender community that goes after these people are those pedophiles like using whatever the transgender umbrella to hide under because gay people the real lgbtq community they hate this shit. they really oh, yeah. like old school gays that i know they hate this and i feel bad because they get attacked for this it's like this isn't what they are like i could tell yeah. you this trend, and uh it, it's really sad we're in a very sad place but hopefully it stops taking over wrestling uh i see so i see probably uh public speaking in your future I really do for politics, like local politics, because change starts at the local level. So yeah. I hope you get involved locally somehow in your community, um, be it speaking, be it getting on a board, perhaps, you know, a school board or something, you know, I don't know. Well, you know, I'm, I'm more, more geared towards uh, journalism, like real journalism. Perfect. And uh, I don't know if you've seen my, uh, my YouTube channel yet called Top Shelf Anarchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did, it's, yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those things where like i'll give you an example um i always like to with my branded journalism i always like to really focus on that relationship between human beings operating as government and human beings operating in the private sector and so one of the things i've been uh, documenting for the last two years is uh been traffic courts i'm just starting off there my next target is tax courts but right now I'm working on traffic courts. And so I would intentionally go out and get tickets and then go to court and, and, and fight the tickets, not based on whether I actually, you know, violated their stupid little rules or not, um, but whether I'm actually obligated to obey those rules in the first place. And so what I'm really doing is highlighting where the corruption comes in and it's corruption that most of us have always looked at our entire lives as something that is normal and isn't corrupt at all so i'll give you an example the um the very first and i'm trying to create a documentary on uh, on the traffic courts right now but from the macy municipal traffic court because i did my court cases right i got it on film all of it all my court cases undefeated by the way i got them all on film I posted them on Twitter. Well, a few of them I posted on Twitter. There's a big chunk of them I'm keeping back for the actual documentary. But once I had a certain number of, of uh, court cases already in the, in the can, I decided I'm going to go to the Mason Municipal Courthouse and I'm going to take my camera in there. And I, this, this one, I wasn't even going into the courtrooms. 
My intention was, was to go through security up to the city attorney's office with my camera rolling. And I was going to FOIA request uh, information on how the background works uh, of traffic court in Mesa, Arizona. And then I was going to ask the city attorney some tough questions on video about how he runs traffic court. Well, I got as far as security and they saw me coming and uh, posted it all on YouTube. They basically trespassed me without ever breaking a law. I never broke a law inside the courthouse. I got up, I got in through the front door to security and they trespassed me and threatened me with arrest if I ever come back there. So now I'm fighting with the city attorney because I'm engaged in a First Amendment protected activity of engaging in freedom of the press. That's a guaranteed inalienable right. But somehow a judge, a Supreme, uh, an Arizona Supreme Court justice for this, for the Supreme Court, Arizona wrote rule one, two, two. That originally it bans um, or forbids filming or recording inside the courtroom when the judge can identify a minor that needs to be protected. Let's turn the cameras off, right? Or some uh, informant that needs to be protected. Let's turn the cameras off. That's how it started. But you got to remember, you give government an inch and they'll take a mile. So then it went from on a case-by-case -case basis to you can no longer film inside the courtroom, inside the courtroom, unless you have the judge's permission. Now, as a journalist, I'm going, okay, I don't need the judge's permission to film in a public place, but it became acceptable. It wasn't that hard. You know, you ask for permission, they give you permission. Most of the time, it was just so easy that nobody challenged it, right? So now they've taken, you gave them an inch, now they've taken five inches. Now, 10 years later, rule 122 becomes rule 122.1 that forbids filming or recording anywhere in the courthouse. Okay, I've, I've, I've done, I'm not putting up with that crap anymore. That's a public building. We paid for it. We have a right to engage in First Amendment practice in there, right? So I go in there with my camera. They threatened me with arrest. Now I'm fighting with the city attorney. And uh, the city attorney is basically saying, you came in here filming when rule 122.1 says you can't film in here. And I literally asked the city attorney, I have a constitutional protected right to engage in First Amendment protected activity, freedom of the press. You're an attorney. Explain to me why I should give up my constitutionally protected right and obey some judges called Rule 122.1. And you know what his answer is to me? You violated Rule 122.1. He doesn't even get it through his thick skull that I'm asking for the facts he relies on that will prove I'm obligated to obey that and just give up my inalienable right to engage in First Amendment protected activities. So rule 122 in this city attorney's uh, mind overrides and alienates an inalienable right to engage in freedom of the press. He's got no ground to stand on, but what he does have, and here's where the, the toxicity becomes dangerous. He doesn't have the right to ban me from filming in that courthouse. He has the ability because he can order men with guns on their hip and badges on their chest that make them unaccountable for what they do with that gun. They can take that gun and they have the ability to point it at me and force me to stop.
but they don't have the rights. You see what I'm saying? So you have a Mesa city attorney that is exercising a criminal ability to use state sanctioned officers to point guns at me, to alienate my First Amendment protected activity and do so without ever proving that he has the right to do so. That's corruption. That's criminality. He should be put in jail for that. And that's what I'm fighting for right now. I'm still working on that documentary right now as we speak. Well, so that's where that stands. I, I hope there's a, I hope you sue him successfully. I mean, I've dealt with the city attorney's office here many times. I've cursed them off. I'm sure they have my phone number on file and they know my voice and everything. So I, you know, I, I go after people when I have to. And when there's corruption and it's always money involved, you always just follow the money and see where it goes. Like our exactly. attorney here promotes vagrancy, promotes crime. And most of all, we now, have, we now have a new law. About two years ago, I was on an Instagram page with those rioters that came here, the BLM people. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something. Like I stayed on that page. Then they said something about coming to my neighborhood. I called the police and told them everything. I gave them the information. They stopped them right at the freeway. So my identity was kept secret for a while. It's not anymore now, but they stopped them at the freeway with a random stop and turned their asses around. So that wouldn't happen in a small town, obviously, but in a big city, <laughs> <laughs> which I love, uh, but in a big city, we stopped it. So now they are no longer allowing random stops by the police because it's racial. So this is a time, you know, to, I guess, Hunker down, get guns, do whatever you have to protect yourselves. And this is where these people have put us. And with you, you're fighting for your First Amendment. And I hope you, I hope you do get a very uh, successful lawsuit against them. What's your documentary called? Well, I haven't titled the documentary yet. Uh, I've just been collecting content for the last two years. the The first part of of collecting content was going out and getting tickets, and then going to court and recording everything. Um, I'll give you an example, like how. When I'm talking about that relationship between government and private sector humans, it also boils down to what happens in the court and to what we all assume is normal. Well, there was a judge in Pinal County on the very first time I ever did it. I had in my mind how logical and how rational my position was. But when you're the very first time you go into court, I thought I've crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's. But this judge, I mean, he's been to law school. Is there something I'm missing here? Well, what got me confident was as I was building up to this, when I really, before I decided to actually go out and get tickets, I was asking lawyers all over the place, what facts could the state present that would prove I'm obligated to obey their written instrument called traffic law? And none of them could come up with an answer. So in my mind, I figured, okay, if these lawyers can't come up with an answer, how can this judge come up with an answer? But you have a doubt in your mind, right? You're like, he's going to come up with an answer. He's a judge, right? So I went, so my very first ticket was a rolling stop. Now, I had to do this rolling stop six times in a row at the same stop sign to get this cop to finally pull me over. So I had heard that a cop was parked up out in the country here in Arizona at the stop sign every night. And he was pulling people over that were doing rolling stops at that stop sign because you're in the country. There's nobody there. I do it all the time. You come up to that stop sign, you look right and left, you can see there's nobody there, and you just keep on going through, right? And so 
sure enough, I, I had heard that that guy pulled over people left, right, and center. So I kept an eye open for him. And this one night, I rolled up to that stop sign coming home from work. And sure enough, he was hiding. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to do a roll California stop, right? So I go up to the stop sign. I make my right turn without stopping, just kind of slowing down, you know, and looking and then going. Turn back around. I did it again and again and again. Finally, on the sixth time, he jumps out, pulls me over, gets me for a rolling stop. So this is where the very first time I was nervous as crap going into court. So, you know, when you go into court on a traffic on a traffic charge, you go into your first hearing, right? Where they give you your three options, you know, take traffic school, which you have to pay for. And you don't get any, you don't get any points or you can pay the fine, but you'll get points or you can plead not guilty and go to trial. Right. So this was the first hearing. And so I walked into court. I was nervous as hell because I still thought in my mind, this judge is going to lay something down on me that I haven't thought about yet. And it's going to totally throw everything I've thought about out the window, which would be a good thing because I wouldn't be wasting any more time on pursuing this. Right. But I was kind of suspecting that would happen. So, but I was going to go through everything anyway. So when I went in there, the judge gives me the three options and he says, which would you like to do? And I said, well, I have a few questions here first. And I asked the judge, I said, um, is it the plaintiff, the, the prosecutor, is it his claim against me that I didn't bring my car to a full and complete stop at a stop sign? And he says, if you say so, that's what I have in front of me. And I go, well, okay, so that is the claim. He's claiming I didn't bring my car to a full and complete stop, so I violated the traffic rules. Is that correct? And he goes, yes, that's correct. So we've identified the plaintiff, the prosecutor's claim against me, right? I violated a written instrument called traffic laws. So my next question was, is the foundation of the state's claim against me, is it that I'm obligated to obey that written instrument called traffic laws in the first place? Now, this is where everything changed. And you've never seen this before in court. No one ever has. And it's such a small thing that you'll see the change here. The judge got mad. And like he would probably have done a million times in his career, he's pulled, he pulled his glasses down on his nose. He put his elbow on his desk and he leaned over his desk and he looked right at me in the eye like he didn't want to play this sovereign citizen game because I knew what was going through his mind. And he goes, sir, you're in the state of Arizona. You are obligated to obey the traffic rules here. Now, being super nervous now because he got mad. But I knew he's making a claim against me from the bench. I asked if the, if the state's making that claim. So what I did was I went, whoa, 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 sir. I understand the claim being made against me. I'm a little confused as to who's making that claim. Is it the state or is it you? And the judge immediately shoved his chair back. You can see this all on YouTube. He shoved his chair back. He put his hands in his air and he goes, no, no, no. It's the state of Arizona versus Sean Morley. At that moment, right there, all the nervousness went out of my body. Like I just, I completely bowed out my chest and went, oh, I got this. Because that's all I needed. That was the crack in the door. You see how he caught on right away that he was making a claim from the bench. And it's a claim that he's going to rule on. You can't have judges ruling on claims that they are making themselves. 
That's immoral and unethical. He's never been confronted like that before. I immediately, as soon as I asked him, is the state making the claim I'm obligated to obey or are you? He immediately went like this. He goes, it's, it's incredible. He goes, no, it's the state of Arizona versus Sean Morley. So I clarified. I go, okay, so just to be clear, the state's claiming I'm obligated to obey their written instrument, not you, right? He goes, no. And I said, okay, so my next question is, what facts has that state presented your courtroom that would prove to rational human beings that I'm obligated to obey that written instrument called traffic law? And the judge kind of looked around and he goes, they'll have to prove that at trial. Now, I kept pushing the issue to get it dismissed right there. But in reality, I knew I was going to trial. And I want to anyway. I want to see what the prosecution is going to do when I ask that question, right? So we go to trial. Now, the first thing at trial I do is I stay on that question, right? I stay like laser focused on it. And I'm asking, am I obligated to obey this written instrument called traffic law? Yes or no? Neither the judge is a female judge this time at, in, in trial. The judge nor the prosecutor would answer the question for a while. They kept trying to push me past it, right? And finally, the prosecution, he gets frustrated because he knows he can't get past this question. So he finally jumps up and he tells the judge, I'll answer this question, ma'am. And he turns to me. Now, the cop that pulled me over sitting right next to him, right? And the state prosecutor goes, sir, when you put your signature on the driver's license and you sign that driver's license, you agreed to abide by all our Arizona traffic laws and obey our police officers. Now, Whatever the prosecution is going to present as evidence proving I'm obligated to obey their written instrument, it has to hold up under scrutiny, right? Ten seconds is all it took for me to destroy the idea that a license that me putting a signature on makes me agree to abide by those rules. So I asked him, I said, so if I didn't have a driver's license and I didn't put my signature on anything, am I free to go do rolling stops anywhere I want? And the cop jumped up behind him and goes, you would get pulled over again. And I saw the prosecution do this. Oh. And the reason the prosecution does this is because he knew right away something just happened to him that he's never had happen to him ever in his entire career. He presented the license as if it was the fact proving I'm obligated to obey their written instrument. Yet, if I didn't have a driver's license, they would pull me over for violating that written instrument anyways. So the reality is the driver's license doesn't prove you're obligated to obey the written instrument because they're going to pull you over anyways. And here's the reality of the situation. The state has absolutely zero facts proving I'm obligated to obey their written instrument. Dismiss for lack of evidence. And. When I won that first case, I went out and just started getting ticket after ticket after ticket after ticket. And uh, I won them all. I'm undefeated in court every single time, every single time. Now, the ruling dismissed for lack of evidence, it's always written very vaguely. It's written for um, the stop was out of our jurisdiction. They never say if it's personum jurisdiction or subject matter jurisdiction. They leave it open very vague. So if anybody asks, they just say, ah, the stop is out of our jurisdiction. We had to dismiss it. But the reality is they have to dismiss it for lack of evidence, proving I'm obligated to obey that written instrument. 
they never expected me to bring up that claim. They make that claim without ever actually mentioning it in court. And here's why. Because they rely on the fact that all of us have spent 12 years in their halls of public education, that whenever we go into court, we only assume that we're obligated to obey and we never question it. We always fight whether we violated the law, violated the traffic rules like, oh, no, I brought my car to a full and complete stop. He's just blind and he thought I kept rolling. They keep arguing over whether you violated or not. No one ever challenges the idea that we're obligated to obey in the first place and i did and i've won every case so far and they don't like that they don't like that at all there was a service like this in california a while back called get dismissed and they get they always got tickets dismissed in court so i think that's like another thing in your future it could be it could be you know just exposing what we all think is normal and exposing it for what it really is. It's like most of traffic court. If you go and you sit in traffic court on a morning session, just sit there for a couple hours, you'll see it's, it's basically nothing but an extortion racket for the most part. There are probably some that I saw come in that, oh yeah, that guy definitely deserves to be here. He was driving drunk and speeding through a school zone, you know? Okay. But when you when you have when you have people coming in there and you have the prosecution and the judge colluding and saying you parked there 30 minutes too much pay us you went 10 miles an hour over the speed limit on the freeway pay us you uh you did an unsafe lane change with because you didn't turn on your blinker pay us to me that's just an extortion racket they're using any excuse they can they'll write up anything that people just do normally you know what i mean and uh and use that as an excuse to give you a ticket and ultimately extract value from you it's an extortion racket and i think that's really what my the goal of my top shelf anarchy brand of journalism is focused on is shining a bright light on something we've all grown up to think is normal and then expose it for what it really is. It's not normal. It's a crime against humanity. It's an extortion racket. Yep. And, and right now I'm doing that with traffic courts, but I'm going to take, once I'm done with the traffic court documentary, I'm taking that same premise and going after tax courts. That's the next one. Yeah. That's, that's a very big one for a lot of us actually. Um, but I appreciate your time today on this. Uh, and I do want you to sit tight after the interview because I had some information for you. But where can people find you right now if they'd like to get signatures or get autographs? Um, and of course, yell at you or something. Or yell at me, yeah. Well, yeah. you can always find me yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Twitter is Val Venus ENT. So it's like ENT short for entertainment. So Val Venus ENT. Um, it's also the same handle on Gab. I'm on Gab as well. Um, and I'm also on Minds. And then, of course, on YouTube, I'm Top Shelf Anarchy on YouTube. Um, you'll find a lot of good controversial stuff on there. Um, you'll see when they threaten me with arrest at the uh, Mesa Municipal Courthouse on that as well. It's just, just incredible. Um, and I got some big things coming from my Top Shelf Anarchy YouTube channel as well. Uh, some really big videos coming up. Um, they can also find me on Facebook. Now, Facebook is hard to get a hold of me on because I, I don't know how, but I get suspended. I'm back on there two or three days. And I get suspended again. Uh, it's 
they're just hitting me one after another right now. Like I just got literally yesterday, I just got another 30 day ban and it was for something I posted two years ago. It's, it's just ridiculous, but yeah, Twitter and Gab is Val Venus ENT and YouTube is uh, top shelf anarchy. And on Instagram, I have Val Venus ENT as well. Do you have any wrestling gigs coming up? Any independent gigs? Are you not taking them? I'm not really taking any any events right now. I've got a couple scheduled that I'm going to go through, um, but I've been turning a lot of them down now just because uh, it seems like I take a booking and then if it's it mostly it's with new promoters that I haven't really you know developed a relationship with. They book me, and the second they advertise me, you get the whole rainbow mafia that will start threatening the promoter oh if you bring val venus out there i don't know what they say to them like you know we're, we're gonna you know cause problems at your show or whatever and the promoters will basically say i can't have that and they'll cancel me yeah that's happened a bunch of times so far and so finally i just decided i'm not taking any more bookings unless it's from promoters that i already have you know a relationship with you know people like dave hero up in chicago or, you know, there's a, there's a handful of promoters that I'll always work for. But, um, you know, there's a, a lot more that I won't do anything for right now. That's funny. You know, Dave Hero, he's awesome. I met him many moons ago when he worked with Shady Jack, the promoter. So that's uh, it's a very small world. Yep. Well, yeah. I appreciate you coming on here and taking the time to chat with me. Uh, it's great seeing you virtually. Hopefully I'll see you in the ring or out of the ring somewhere at a signing where we don't have the, uh, the rainbow mops coming after us. Uh, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on here, Jasmine. It's been fantastic. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying the ride on Crazy Train with Jasmine St. Clair podcast. So if you are, do me a huge, huge favor. Woo! Please go ahead. Go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, but Apple's great. Give me a nice rating and review. Send me a screenshot and I promise you, I will send you a special goodie bag. So please rate and review Crazy Train with Jasmine St. Clair podcast. And in exchange for that, once I see the DM with the review and your name and address, I will get those gift bags out to you. I'm not going to tell you what's in it. (laughs) 